What's up, Build Cycle fans? Have I got a great episode for you today. So I'm gonna take just a few seconds more than usual to tee it up. My guest today is Jordan Harbinger. If you've heard of him, it's probably because he was a longtime host of AOC, a top-rated podcast on iTunes. There, the subject matter largely dealt with social dynamics, personal interactions, and developing communication skills, all things we could stand to improve to be successful entrepreneurs and leaders. Jordan was the face and voice of that show until all of a sudden, he wasn't. So I wanted to find out why. Why leave something when you're on top? Turns out the reasons he's no longer there provide valuable lessons about relationships, particularly among co-founders whose visions for their company might be diverging. From there, the conversation goes deep into improving self-awareness, using what you can control to improve your outcomes, and owning your future. Immediately after his departure, he rebooted with The Jordan Harbinger Show. So we talk about how he's growing his podcast, what makes it different and special, and tips for first-timers about launching their own show. The lessons are applicable whether you're starting or just want to improve your own podcast, videos, interviews, or blog. But throughout, much of the conversation about leadership and building better networks continues. This is a value-packed episode with tons of takeaways. I strongly encourage you to listen all the way through to the end. Now, without further ado, please welcome Jordan Harbinger. The podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. This episode is brought to you by Health IQ. As you'll hear in a minute, sometimes the unexpected can happen. We all try to stay fit and healthy because we need that good energy to run our companies, but we can still get blindsided, so we need life insurance. And Health IQ can help us save significant money on that. How? I'll tell you later in this episode, because right now I am beyond stoked to get this conversation started. Here we go. Jordan, welcome to the Build Cycle Podcast. I've been looking forward to this because you're a bit different type of guest than usual for me. Most of my interviews are with founders of outdoor, adventure, and lifestyle brands, but occasionally I host a subject matter expert like yourself. And you're a bit of a double threat because you've built your own podcast and event business too, which we'll touch on. But I want to start with this. You have a new show, but you built your name at another top-rated podcast that focused on social interaction, human development, and networking. So I'm curious, why jump ship when from all outside appearances, things seem to be going so well? Yeah, I mean, first of all, me leaving on these circumstances was not my choice. Um, I had nego- We had definitely had different visions for the company. You know, I wanted to grow into doing more interviews with high performers, getting really the best knowledge out of some great people. And there were different views of what should be done inside the company. And so we negotiated a split. Things didn't work out with that negotiation. And I found myself on the outside of the company pretty damn quick. And um, in what might be considered sort of a, a spinoff of a Jerry Maguire style moment, I took, or an inverse, I should say, of a Jerry Maguire style moment. I left the goldfish uh, in this case, but I took most of the team uh, with me. Or I should say the team mostly came with me. I didn't take anyone. Um, they came with me when I left. And so we're rebuilding from the ground up with the Jordan Harbinger show and with advanced human dynamics, which I like to think is a very much evolved version of what I was doing before. You know, over on the old show, a lot of it was like dating, meeting women, stuff like that. I'm 38, man. I've been married for a while. I'm going to have kids. I just can't. I couldn't do it anymore. And I wanted to spin off and do something else. And so in a way, it was a bandage that I probably needed to rip off for years and this is pr- every entrepreneur I've talked to is like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to you. You just don't know it yet. And I see that now. I just don't feel it now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it takes a while to rebuild. But what and why I found this story so fascinating and why I wanted to talk to you about it is because like 
on the old podcast and on the new one, you know, you've spoken so much about how to interact with other people, read their body language, pick up on social cues. So I'm kind of curious, were there some early signs? It, um, and the old podcast is Art of Charm for people that don't know, which is still going on. It's just uh, some other people doing it now. Were there some early signs there that that business partnership were, were starting to be tested or strained? Uh, yeah, it, it, there was a lot of signs early on and I will take full responsibility for ignoring those particular signs for so long. Um, I can't say specifically because I don't want to go into like negative cycles about some place where I used to, to work and people that I used to work with, of course. But I would say that anytime you're in a business in general, uh, my specific case aside, when I talk with other people about this kind of thing, whenever there's emotional tension in a business, that's normal. When there's emotional tension in a business, but decisions are being based on those emotional decisions, those emotions, you've got a potential problem on your hands. And so what I mean is this, and this is a hypothetical because I don't want to throw anything out specific to any business that I've been in because that would be in poor taste. But let's say that you and I host a show or let's say that you and I run a business and we sell bike tires, right? To sort of throw one out there to your peeps. And, you know, I am not the face of the business. You are. And you're doing a lot of cool appearances and you're speaking and you're going to all these different events and you're manning the booth and stuff like that and people know who you are and they like you. Now, that's good for the business. But what happens if I go, you know what? I want to do that. You're like, great, cool. Come to the event. Go give a talk. And I'm I'm not really into that, right? I, I, I'll do it, but I kind of don't want to do it and it's really your strong suit. But at the same time, I'm not ready to say, well, this is all you though, man. You should do this. So there's tension between me wanting more limelight or somebody else wanting a pay raise or different types of people who have lifestyle differences. Some people can't. I, I was just talking with a friend of mine. He's trying to trim back, I'm not even kidding, his $65,000 a month lifestyle. He's trying to trim it back. And he says, I think I can make it to $45,000 a month. Are you kidding me? That's nuts. Are you kidding me? That's bonkers. That's that's rich guy times 10 nobody needs to spend that much what are you doing i i mean those are the that was the first thing out of the mouth when i heard this i just couldn't believe it so whenever you have something like that in a business it doesn't have to be somebody who can't spend less than 50 grand a month but you're going to have people who value things differently you know it, it, in the same example that i was doing before if you and i run this bike tire company forget the limelight stuff let's say that i have an expensive lifestyle. I want fancy vacations. Then I have a kid that adds to things, but I don't want to trim my stuff back, my fancy stuff back. I just want to take more money out of the business and you don't. Well, that's probably going to cause a problem. Now, if we can't agree on this and I'm mad at you for other totally vague stuff that may or may not have happened over the past decade or so, that's a problem, right? Like what if I don't want to give you your way because I'm just so sick of you getting your way all the time, right? That's not going to be healthy. And so you can run into problems like that where you start to project into the future, usually by talking about your problems with other entrepreneurs and having them go, hey, buddy, saw this. You're going to be in deep-ish in about five to ten years, if not more or less. you got to do something about this. And so it's hard. Yeah, to answer your question, to come full circle, leaving is so hard. And sometimes the decision has to be made for you because it's that hard. Sunk cost, man. You know, there are people that are in relationships for decades because they don't want to get divorced. They don't want to leave because they don't want to be alone. They don't want to start over. There are people that get stuck in jobs. And when I worked on Wall Street, it was called the golden handcuffs. People who hated working there, but they had to because after a few years, they bought a house. And after a few more years, they bought a boat and then they got married and then they had kids and those people were accustomed to a great lifestyle. Then they bought another house. Then they bought another boat. And now they could they want to kill themselves every day because they're busting their butts at work, but there's no way they can live on any sort of reasonable salary because they're getting paid 800 grand a year and it doesn't matter what they have to do to get it. And so that's really the problem, man, is these business things, you can bear, you can play ostrich and put your head in the sand like I did for a really long time. It doesn't go away. You know, I did everything that you would expect someone to do in a similar situation. When we make more money, things will be fine. When the stress level is lower, things will be fine. When we grow the show X percentage, things will get a little easier. When we launch this next product, things will be fine and be easier. That stuff really doesn't materialize 
over time. You know, if you hit one or two victories and things don't get better, don't think the third, fourth, fifth, 10th, and 11th are going to be any different. It's just like being in an abusive relationship. And I hate to, I'm not trivializing abusive relationships. I'm, I'm doing the opposite when it comes to business because I think a lot of people stay in business relationships not realizing that it's a you're basically married to the people that you are in business with. And sometimes you try to make things better and a lot of times you're just doing the wishful thinking project and it's really bad for your psychology. So what I find really fascinating with this is, you know, as much as you guys talk about you know, picking up on social cues and being able to read people, it almost sounds like there were some blinders on to what was going on there. Initially, maybe with the small things that started, it's kind of like, you know, the doctor who's overweight, you know, they can put it out there, but then they're just not paying attention to themselves sometimes. And I think like a lot of founders get into that cycle. Like you said, well, let's just work on this next project. Let's get this new product out. Let's offer this new service. What are some of the things you should be looking at both in your own actions and maybe your business partner's actions that would be some really early signs to catch this before it becomes too big of a problem. So I think it's more about self or see, here's the thing. A lot of people go, Oh, you know, it's all about making sure that you're keeping an eye on everybody and you're checking in with your partner. This is much, in my opinion, it's much more about self awareness than anything else. Um, I think that you really need to check it. I hate cliches, dude. You know, I hate them, but you need to check in with yourself at least yearly. Is this business going where I want it to go? If no, what other options do I have? And the answer is not none. That was the problem with me. I was like, well, I can't do this, 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 and this because it's impossible. When really what I meant was it's going to be hard and then greater long-term and shittier short-term. And that's really a dangerous mindset to have. Whenever you have a mindset or a mental model that says, I either have choice A or choice B, and I'm not crazy about either of them, it's time to start questioning those mental models. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you're thinking, oh man, I don't like running this bike company with my cousin because he's such a lazy pot smoking schlep, right? Well, I don't have a choice because either I quit the bike company entirely or I start another bike company and you know, it's going to be so hard. It's going to cause all this damage. Well, I guess I'm going to, I guess the only option I have is just to stay here. You know, I guess I just got to stay here. And it's like, well, no, not really. There are a million other things you could do. None of which would even involve your cousin, right? You could buy him out. You could start something else that competes. You could start something that doesn't compete. You could split the company into pieces. There's all kinds of different options. You could start over like I did, but Instead of evaluating those options earnestly, most people go, oh my God, I don't even want to think about starting over. I guess I'm fine where I'm at because I don't know, things are fine. Those guys don't bother me on this. And you know, my lazy pot smoking cousin, he doesn't bother me on that. And I just, he just kind of lets me do whatever I want because he's always high and laying on the couch. Like you start to rationalize staying where you are because it's the path of least resistance. Yeah, or, or maybe super dangerous. Or maybe externalizing it, looking at what everybody else is doing wrong and saying, all right, well, I need to get, make them fix that. They need to change that habit instead of kind of looking at either what you can change in yourself or, or change within the company to help it go where you want to go despite the others. Or like you said, just figuring out if there's a better option outside of the company. Exactly. Yeah. And I think a lot of people really don't focus on just what they can control. And I understand why you'd rather focus on other people. Like you said, externalizing things, uh, creating all kinds of issues for, oh, you know, this can't be my fault. It's got to be somebody else. This can't be my fault. It's got to be this. And that's a huge problem to externalize and focus on external locus of control type of stuff. Man, that's, that's a dangerous, dangerous road to go down because you really, you really absolve yourself of responsibility when you say, well, this person's equally at fault. It doesn't matter. So what? So 50% of it you can't control? It might as well be 0% of it. You can only focus on what you can control. Who cares if somebody else is at fault? I spent so many years being like, well, you know, this happened. It's like, okay, and what? If you're a successful person, you just deal with it. If you're a whiny little wuss bag, you talk about how other people are out to get you because it's better than looking at yourself in the mirror. That's dangerous, man. People do it in business. They do it in their relationships. They do it in their physical fitness. This is something that people do all the time. And every single time you do it, every single time you say that somebody else is at fault, even 1%, you're just making an excuse. 
because you can't control them. So who cares? If someone comes and lights your hair on fire, it is their fault, but it doesn't matter. Who's going to put out that fire? You're going to sit there and talk to people about how somebody lit your hair on fire. You're going to do something about it. And with that example, it's super obvious. But when it's about a company that you're in, a relationship that you're in, a marriage that you're in, it's not as obvious for some reason. And I, I think I understand it's a little bit sort of uh, intangible, but it could, the damage is just the same. You're still running around on fire. I like that analogy. And to add a little bit to the, the mindset is I found that you're never going to be more frustrated than when you have expectations for others. Because like you said, you can't control them. But when you try to and they're not doing what you want, then it just drives you crazy and you just get angry and like nothing good comes of that. Mm-hmm. All right. So you left Art of Charm, started the mm-hmm. Jordan Harbinger show. What did you do immediately after the departure? Did you start work on this new podcast right away or were you considering doing other things? I started working on the show right away. So one of my, I hate this word because it's overused in entrepreneurship, especially one of my mentors and I will say friend and mentor, Norm Pattis, he's, he owns podcast one. He started Westwood one. He, he was like, look, man, I've been to radio for 45 years. You cannot take a break. You cannot pause. You cannot rest on your, you know, old show and say, oh, let's just see how this shakes out. Don't miss a beat. Start right now and get back on the horse. And he signed me to a new deal immediately. He's like, look, we got to just keep going. So I immediately started doing the Jordan Harbinger show. I didn't miss one episode. I, I released my last episode of Art of Charm on a Thursday and the next episode was supposed to come out on a Tuesday and I recorded it on a Saturday after getting canned and I released it on my own feed. Uh, you know, on my own time with my own guests, with my own equipment, I had everything set up. I basically just didn't sleep for a few days, recorded a show and and you can hear it, <laughs> and recorded a show and and got it up there and still kept to my three a week release schedule. I didn't skip one single episode. Nice. So there was never a second when you were look, looking at other things to do. Right. I do the Jordan Harbinger show, but I also run Advanced Human Dynamics, which has live events, training, and online products that are yet to be released. But I'm working on all of those things. So I'm building an entire company with my team from the ground up. I'm not just like, oh, I'll keep doing my interviews on the show. Like I am doing the entire thing from the ground up. Had you been laying the groundwork for the Advanced Human Dynamics events and other things ahead of time, or did it really all kick off like that day after? No, I wasn't able to do anything ahead of time because you know I was working for another company. I wasn't thinking like, oh, one day I'm going to leave. It had not occurred to me at all, man. I never thought I was going to do that. I when I left, my initial idea, <clears throat> my initial idea, was that I was going to leave and then not do any live element, no products, nothing. I was just going to do the show. I figured that that was going to be some, some sort, I was going to have to agree to something like that in order to, to split. And that didn't happen. So now I'm doing everything without any warning at all. I didn't do a shred of work for anything else other than AOC while I worked there. I just worked on that. So everything you see at advanced human dynamics, everything you see at jordanharbinger.com, every episode of the show was produced in the last 10 weeks. That's impressive because there's a lot going on. So at, at the old show, you guys were putting on events, you know, and obviously doing a podcast. So you you had some experience in doing these things before. With the new show, the new events, what's, what's different? Like what are you taking away and what are you improving upon? So what I'm improving upon is I have a better roster of people that I think are more interesting, more exciting. I, I mean, not not disparaging any old guests of the old show. Of course, it, I'm interviewing the same caliber of people, I should say. Military generals, CEOs talking about how they make tough decisions, uh, military types folks, CIA, professional con artists to find out how they read people. I've got Larry King coming on to talk about conversational skills. I've got some great uh, bigger names in the works, too, that I don't want to sort of let the cat out of that bag, but I've had no problem booking even bigger names after leaving because I think the branding is a little bit different and more friendly to a mainstream audience. So I'm taking that, I'm doing even more prep than I was before, and I'm doing six to eight, maybe even 10 hours on some guests even more prep for each interview because I really realized that the show's not about the guest, it's about what the guest can teach the listener. So on the Jordan Harbinger show, I wanna take other people's superpowers 
deliver them to the people listening. And that's why we have worksheets for every single episode. So that's something that changed as well. I've got worksheets for every single episode so that when you listen, you don't just have to go like, oh, yeah, I got to remember that networking thing or I got to remember that body language thing or I got to remember that whatever. It's on a worksheet that you can go and download, figure out, write stuff down, review it later so you don't have to re-listen to an hour-long interview. And I really have done a lot of coaching as well. So not only am I building this business every single day, I've got coaches that are professional broadcasters, voice coaches, people working with me and my team that are listening to the stuff we create and going, hey, okay, B plus, A minus, whatever. Here are 10 little things that we can work on. Let's start with this for this week and do one thing a week. You know, I've got a lot of people. So I'm trying to get into that top, you know, 0.1%, top 1% of interviewers in the world, not podcasters, interviewers in general. You know, I want to be mentioned in the same sentence as, uh, well, I shouldn't say Charlie Rose. Had a little bit of a, a couple incidents recently. But, you know, like I want to be like a Larry King that's more for our generation. That's going to take years and years and years. And it's not just going to happen by me lazily walking in and doing an interview every couple of days. This has to be something that I am hell bent on doing. And so I am. I work like a demon. And so I'm taking that and improving it. And I think the the one thing that we're doing less of is just sort of shilling dating stuff. You know, the, the old show was a lot of like date, pick up chicks, that kind of stuff. I just got rid of that entirely. I was slowly steering the ship away from it initially. However, I finally am able to, it's a hard reset, right? I don't have to steer the ship anymore gradually. I really can start in a completely different direction. And so making things unisex for men and women, not just for men, and making things really, really practical instead of inspirational, and working with people that are gonna teach learnable, practical, teachable skills to the listening audience, brilliant people, examining their actions, asking them great questions so that the listener can apply that for themselves. That's what I'm really focused on with the cool. Jordan Harbinger show. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, and, you know, like with the old show, I mean, I think there's a market for both. There's always going to be a market for what AOC has for sure. And, you know, and then like you said, you've got to kind of follow what your passions are and, and jump ship when you need to. So I'm kind of curious about the economics of it because you, you have a team that you brought with you. Your wife helps out. You have a producer. You were talking a little bit before we started about all the equipment you've got, you know, the recording studio. That's a lot of money. Like I'm doing this from a laptop with an external mic. I mean, granted a nice one, but still I'm talking about like a 2012 laptop that I've had forever and a $500 mic. And that's kind of the extent of my equipment because the software is all free. When you do that and you brought these team with you that were from the other podcast, like are these people all just taking a giant leap of faith with you? How did you guys dive in and start supporting a small team? Well, when we well first things first i actually have a lot of my team on half pay and i've also got a lot of people that are working essentially as volunteers and um since all of our sponsors i should say many of our sponsors followed us to the new show a lot of them said okay you're starting over but i think you're going to build it really fast so what i want to do is give you this huge lump sum up front and then hopefully later down the line it'll turn into a good deal Right. Because they're they're paying like a year in advance based on a number of listeners that they think I'm going to have in, say, six months. So they're paying way too much right now. And then in the future, they're hoping they're going to be paying way too little and that it'll balance out. So we ended up with a huge amount of startup capital because of that. Nice. And are you on track to hit hit it to where they're getting a killer deal? Uh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, some of the people that have bought, I'm like, dang, I should have asked for more. <laughs> but I wanted to close so I could pay people. So yeah, so it's we actually ended up with a bunch of capital. We have a lot of people working for less than they are worth because they believe in the mission that we're trying to do here. And uh, I'm a part of a network, a big network, Podcast One, so I have a ton of help from them, and they make their money from ad sales, so I don't need to pay them at all. They essentially work based on the ad sales, whereas with the old show, they kind of just could kick back and relax as far as I was concerned, now I'm like, hey, I need every, I need all hands on deck. So there's a lot of staff that's being mobilized to help regrow the show because the potential for earning is just really, really, uh, it, it's really, really high. 
right? There's an audience that just can, it's growing so fast that they're, they can see that if they keep helping and, and we really get this thing out in the water that we're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. The economics of podcasts are impressive. And I think that's why so many people are starting podcasts nowadays. Um, so in a recent episode, I forget which one exactly, but you mentioned that like with, at the prior company, there was a lot of email blasts pushing out different products and services and that that kind of thing was needed to keep the lights on. So is this why you're also doing the event side? Like, I mean, beyond the sponsors that you get for the podcast itself, do you have to do these outside real world services to build the business? Uh, yeah. So doing products and services and, and having live events like we're running in the summer, those are important because otherwise you're just stuck earning ad revenue, which ad agencies are slow to pay. They are, you're, you're really hoping that the ad economy stays in a certain way, you know, a certain way. It's tough, man. It's really rough. So you want diversified income streams, you know, that I can earn from the sale of one product or two products what an ad is worth in a show that has over a hundred thousand downloads, you know, so I'd rather just sell products because it, it's so much more lucrative. The margins are so much higher and you don't have to put ads in your work product. So there's a lot to be said for stuff like that. Plus the impact you make on somebody with a product in a live event is more interesting for me than slowly drip, drip, drip doing the show. I love doing the show. I'm not going to stop. And the impact is amazing. But having someone come in and then go out changed is is really rewarding. Yeah, definitely. So uh, one more thing about the ad and revenue. You know, I've heard one critique about some of the more popular podcasts having too many ads. And I think on some of your episodes, you've got like four or more sponsor missions per episode. Do you need that volume of sponsor messages? Or are you trying to get rid of that by doing the events? Um, that volume is what our network likes to do. I could probably trim it down, but there's... Right now, the capital coming in is worth it, and I find that the listeners don't mind the ads. If you do them right, it's fine. If you're going, this episode is sponsored by uh, gmailplugins.net. They're really great. You should go. I have a 10% off code. Nobody wants to hear that. But if you go, I don't know. I don't. This isn't a real product. But if you go, so we're talking about psychopathy with Dr. James Fallon. Speaking of psycho, the deal that you're going to get from gmailplugins.net <laughs> is insane. I'm practically giving them away down here. Like you can just do stupid stuff like that. And if your audience is interested in you being like zany or funny in a way like that, they would react in a certain way. Or you can say something like, speaking of something that won't ruin your life, like a debilitating disease, HostGator, 12% off with the coupon code Jordan. Like people like when I do the ad reads because I don't use the copy at all. And I'd, I'd like to think my jokes are better than that when I'm talking about real products. But I talk about things that I use in my life. I typically, I typically go over, like I'll talk about socks and underwear for a while and stuff like that if they're a sponsor. And the sponsors dig it and the audience, I routinely get people saying, look, I don't even fast forward through your ads because each one is different and they're kind of funny. It's just like a relief and a release inside a show that could be really dramatic. I mean, I did interview somebody who found out they were a psychopath while researching psychopathy as a brain scientist. And I was like, this is some heavy duty ish. Right. And then it's like, now time for an ad for me undies. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. So when you go into these scanning, like you really have to make it apropos and interesting or people will skip it and you're advertising dollars or suffer. So I like doing the ads. I don't think it detracts from what we're doing. Um, but once you start getting greedy, you're in trouble. Like if you don't listen to your own show and you just think I'm going to put seven ads in here, it's a problem, you know, and there's always going to be people who don't like the ads. And I get that. But that tends to be feedback for me that I'm doing something wrong. I could be doing something better if that's the case. So what I like are people going, I love your ad reads. And it, not just from the ad agency. I'm talking about from show fans. That makes me happy because that's my job, right, to make that interesting. Not to every, – every minute of your listener's attention is earned, right? You're an advocate for the audience. Every minute of what you are doing for them, you are earning their attention. They can drop you like a hot stone. There's a million podcasts. Literally, there's almost half a million, right? So what are you doing to keep them around? Your content better be amazing. And if you go, you know what? Screw it. I want to make a lot of money this month. And you do seven ads in the middle of your show, they should be pissed at you unless you can make those ads interesting and value, and value add for them, right? 
Right. So it's all about you have to I think it ups the game because nothing is taken for granted. Back in the eighties on radio, yeah, people could switch the channel, but a DJ could kind of do whatever they wanted, talk show hosts could kind of do whatever they wanted. Now there's you know, there's a hundred channels on TV, there's a bunch of radio channels, there's unlimited variety online. People have to actually be good at their freaking job. If they want to host a show, an interview show, and they want to make it good, they got to be good at it, man. And so that same thing goes for the ads. People feel like the ads aren't part of the show. They're absolutely part of the show. Your guests should be going, this is one of the best interviews I've ever had. Your ad reads should be, holy crap, that was so funny that you did that. It was so interesting that you did that. Or I learned something from an ad read. I can't believe it. People should be saying that about that. If you're not doing that, and you're going, well, this is the part where we pay the bills. It kind of sucks, but you know, we'll be right back. You're failing. You're doing it wrong. You have to make everything interesting now. All right. Okay, so speaking of guests, uh, we're going to switch gears just a little bit. I reached out to you with a LinkedIn message originally. It kind of explained why I wanted to connect with you. and I thought I could pull a good story out of our conversation that would provide value for my listeners, which is kind of like what I like to do is give somebody – actionable advice based on how somebody else built their company or, or grew a brand or something. So in my mind, there was value being created and I figured I had nothing to lose by asking. So how do you reach out to people you don't know but want to interview? Yeah, so I've actually got quite a few options. I'm going to ignore the options of like, I ask my network show booker to reach out because people think, oh, well, that's so, you know, that's cheating. No offense, Kirsten, she's a great gal. She gets me like, one percent of my guests and that's through podcast one you mean right okay right so people are like oh i need a show booker no man this is a sales job for a host so what i mean by that is you have to sell your show mercilessly follow up mercilessly if you want to book guests that are really good they're going to be in demand and if you want that to happen i mean I'll, look i'll give you a real world example here you want a real world, real world example? It'd Absolutely. be great if I could speak English here. <laughs> this is what I get for doing an interview this late in the day. This is my fault. All right. So, do you know? Do you follow poker at all? You ever followed poker? Do you care about poker? Not really. Me but. neither. <laughs> but there's a player called Phil Hellmuth. Okay. And but he. See, the funny is, thing is, I've actually heard of him. <laughs> I don't follow okay, poker, he, but I've heard of him. So, someone said, "Oh, you got to get a Phil Hellmuth on the show," and I thought, "Well, why?" You know, he's a controversial figure in the poker community. I don't really need that. I can talk to Annie Duke. Oh, she's controversial too. Okay, so everyone's controversial. What are you going to do? So I would reach out, and I would reach out, and I would reach out, and I'd get nothing. And then I'd reach out, and I'd hear something, and he'd be like, I'm really busy because he's announcing the World Series of Poker. He's on TV. He's endorsing stuff. He goes and speaks. He's got books that he sells. He does charity stuff. He's a busy guy. And then I heard back from him like, three months later you know i'm following up every couple of weeks if i don't hear back every single week if i don't hear back i should say every few weeks if the person's busy and we kick it down the road i'm constantly following up i use a crm are you familiar with what that is is your audience familiar with the, what that is by the way like a customer relationship management right Basically, so something to keep you I, on track with sales calls precisely so i'm not just sending out emails like i hope i hear back from phil no i'm sending out an email there's a non-automated follow-up if I hear back. Of course, if it's something I don't hear back, I have something that reminds me. After a while, I use Boomerang. I use other CRMs. So I'm constantly chasing down leads for guests. And at any given time, I've got dozens of people. So right now, I've got interviews scheduled ahead of time for 22 people. I'm currently scheduling, as in finding a place on the schedule, my assistant is anyway, for 13 people who've said, yes, I'll do it, and we're just trying to get them on the calendar. And then for people that I'm interested in getting on the show and said they would do it, but they're not scheduling yet, I have 22. So altogether, 35, 45, 55, there's almost 60 people that are close, at, or I should say somewhat close in the funnel to going on the show, 22 of which have already been scheduled. So imagine how many people I have to have just irons in the fire because half the people you never hear from or you get told no. So you've got to be reaching out to, I would say dozens conservatively of people at any given time if you want to run a show three times a week and you want top performers who are busy, you got to bust your ass. If you're just willing to take anybody who comes along and is on a book tour or a YouTube type person, 
you can just throw out five emails and four will come back, right? But if you want best-selling authors, if you want Ryan Holiday, if you want Andy Duke, if you want Phil Hellmuth, if you want Mel Robbins, if you want uh, best-selling authors and things like that, record executives, if you want a senator, you want Navy SEALs that wrote books, you, you want Adam Carolla, Dr. Drew, you got to put it out there and you got to be prepared to schedule these people for like a year. And that's, that's who's on my list right now, um, on my schedule. So you have to treat it like a sale. If you've ever sold anything in your business, and I hope everyone has, if you don't have a sales skill set, build one. It's one, probably one of the most beneficial things you could possibly learn. Time for our quick sponsor message, but I'll keep it short. As you've heard with Jordan's story, sometimes things can seem to be going great. Your business is growing, you're popular, it's all looking awesome from the outside. And maybe you're feeling great because you eat right, exercise, and live a healthy lifestyle. So chances are you're going to beat the odds, and Health IQ knows this. That's why they're able to save you hundreds of dollars or more on a life insurance policy. They negotiate with underwriters on behalf of healthy, active people to save them real money, which improves your bottom line. Look, I know none of us like to think about this stuff, but we need to protect our company, our families, and our investors if we have any. And setting up a life insurance policy is part of that. If you're already putting in the work to stay fit, you might as well let Health IQ save you some money. Check them out and help support this podcast by going to healthiq.com buildcycle. That's healthiq.com buildcycle. Thanks, and now back to this episode. So a lot of these names you mentioned, I see the same people getting interviewed on each other's podcasts. And you didn't mention Kevin Rose, but I'll use this as an example because you guys interviewed each other and uh, he's been around on a lot of different podcasts and stuff. So when you get somebody on your show who's been on a lot of other really popular podcasts, how do you keep it fresh? Like, What do you try and ask them that's outside of the typical subject matter so that I'm not listening to the same story over and over again? I would say that whenever you're going up against strong competition, so if you're going up on a on a show, well, hey, look, you know, this person's been on a bunch of different stuff and, you know, they have all this kind of questions they've already been asked, is there anything else? The answer is always yes. It's just that all of the all of the low-hanging fruit has been taken. So, if Kevin Rose has been on 5 or 10 other popular shows, the one way I can make sure that I keep it fresh is listen to those other shows, find the best things that are going to make for good stories that I need, discard the rest, read their book, go and figure out everything else I know about them, read pe what people have written online, read their LinkedIn, read messages that I've been able to get from other folks, talk to their friends, current and past, talk to their significant other, talk to them, of course, um, and then since I've done a hundred percent more work than even another prepared interviewer, or maybe a thousand percent more work than another prepared interviewer, I don't have a problem keeping it fresh because I can dive in there, take the best things from the interviews that I've heard already, turn that into something interesting by out hosting some of these other podcasts, by making them more interesting, digging deep. Cause I'm not hearing that story for the first time. So I have a huge advantage, right? I can figure out what that story includes or should have included and get that going. So every episode of the Jordan Harbinger show that has a guest that's been on other shows, and you don't have to pat me on the back, but I know you've listened to my work for a while. I will make sure that after that show, the guest is like, wow, nobody's ever asked me that, or I haven't really gone down this path before. And I want to hear from my show fans that say, I've heard that guy interviewed a hundred times and he's never talked about the stuff he talked about on your show. And routinely when I interview a comedian or a celebrity, I will reach out to their agent or publicist, or sometimes they'll reach out to me and great compliments that know that will tell you you're doing your job. Well, I interviewed uh, a well-known comedian on my previous program and we became friends. And one of the, the way that he reached out is he said, you know, I've been this guy's agent for 20 years. I never heard probably 60% of what he talked about on your show. And they've known each other for two decades. Hmm. That's, you have to outwork everyone else. I, I wish I had a cool shortcut. You have to outwork everyone. If you outprepare everyone, you don't have to worry about whether you're more talented. You know, I'm, if I'm hosting a show back to back with Russell Brand, the comedian, 
he's going to be more entertaining than me. He's going to be funnier. He's going to be quicker on his feet, everything. But I'm going to out-prepare him, and it's going to be a better interview. That's just the truth of it. I really know that my competitive advantage is not the talent that I was supposedly born with. I don't believe in that at all, by the way. I used to be a shy nerd. I still am a nerd. I'm just not shy. It's the amount of work I'm willing to put into a show. I don't know anyone else that's willing to spend 10 hours preparing for an hour-long interview. I just don't. And that's my, comp I'm not bragging about that. I'm saying if I had a better way to do it, I would, but I don't. It's just like, if you're, a, if you're an athlete and your advantage is that you can train more or you can study harder than other athletes when it comes to strategy, you have to do that. You can't go, man, it's so unfair that I can't jump as high as this person or that my golf swing isn't as good as this person. You just have to be better at something else. And sometimes that thing involves more work. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what they were I'm saying at. about Michael Phelps is he was training seven days a week when everybody else was training six days a week, and look where he is, right? Yeah, I mean, look, I try to do athletic analogies, and I'm terrible at it because I'm like, you should just train more, and coaches are like, dude, you're going to overtrain. And I'm like, you don't get it. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, fine, your muscles are fatigued. <laughs> Whatever, I get it. You know, I will work, I will work 12 to 14 hours a day, and I will you – know, if I know that this guest has been interviewed to, to – freaking death i will read all of their books yeah it's 21 hours of reading it's got to get done i got to do it because i'm going to be the interviewer that gets the goods yep. otherwise i'm wasting everyone's time dude yeah i find too what i tend to try and add into mind is when i'm listening to these other interviews with these people is if a question pops in my mind and it doesn't get answered in that one then i'm like okay there's something right because like if i'm wondering about it there's a pretty good chance there's at least you know few other thousand people that are interested in knowing the same thing. So you have a section on your show called Feedback Friday where you read uh, listeners' letters who have questions for you and answer them. And so I've got to ask, do you read those questions ahead of time and prepare, or are you coming up with all of your answers on the fly? So the way that the questions work is I select the questions, I write a couple of bullets about what I'm thinking in the moment, and then I give them to my producer. My producer will then edit the questions down. He'll mix them with other questions that are in the inbox so that we can sort of do multi-pronged things that will help multiple people. So sometimes those questions are hybrid, right? It's like five questions from five different people. So we sort of recreate one question that has to do with all of those people's circumstances so we can answer them in one. So I'm not saying, it, basically you wanna have that so it's not like, I don't know how to get ahead at work because my boss doesn't like me. And then the next one is, I don't know how to get ahead at work because one of my coworkers doesn't like me. And then the next one is, I don't know how to get ahead at work because one of my subordinates is complaining to my boss about me. It's like, let's blend those all together and answer those. So I put a couple bullets like, oh, you need to go to HR. This person needs to talk to a mentor. This person needs to confront you know, their boss on this and if necessary, go to the boss's boss in this particular instance. So I'll write those bullets, but then yeah, when those are weeks in advance, and then when the day comes to record, my pr producer Jason goes, ta-da, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that I really don't remember slash haven't seen, and then there's a couple of bullets that are like, tell the story about how you got fired. Tell the story about how you got your first job. Tell the story about um, finding drugs in your friend's car, like stuff like that. So those aren't scripted to answer your question, but it's not the first time I'm seeing it either. Right. Yeah. Well, it's impressive. I mean, your answers are pretty darn good. And it's funny because like when I first started listening to yours, I would only I would go straight to the interviews with people. And then like a couple of times, I'm like, ah, I'll just see what this Feedback Friday stuff is about. And now I like, almost gravitate more towards those. It's, uh, it's, it's entertaining. And usually there's quite a few nuggets of good info in there for people trying to figure something out. You know, what's funny about those shows, man, is when we first started them, they were super unpopular <laughs> and people were like, look, you know, I don't care about this feedback Friday thing or this fan mail stuff. And they were getting significantly fewer downloads, which means that nobody was really selecting them and streaming them. And we were kind of like, oh, well, but we enjoyed doing it. We were about to call it off when about three months in, which is how long you need to test something when it comes to broadcasting and, and quote unquote creative stuff. We started getting email like, I love these, these are great, this is the most life-changing, impactful stuff, thanks for answering my question, or thanks for answering this other person's question, I used this and it worked, and I went, okay. So it's rewarding even if it's less popular. I can live with that. Six to eight months in, a year in, by far the most popular episodes of the show. Why do you think that is? 
Well, not only did we get better at dispensing advice, but I think what happened was people who were used to just listening to me interview people, at first they were like, I don't give a crap what this Jordan guy says, man. Just interview guests. I don't give a crap about how you got ahead at work or how did this other person with a relationship issue and yada, yada, But as people started to trust what I was saying in the interviews and then see that I had advice, they were like, oh, okay. And P.S. people who were subscribing to the show and had been ignoring those gave one a shot because they were at the gym and it was the next thing on the playlist or whatever. They went, oh, okay, I dig this. And then people who used to just listen to the interviews, now sometimes I get email like, I occasionally listen to an interview, but I live for Fan Mail Friday. And I get that email in my inbox all the time. And whenever people say, I don't listen to Fan Mail Friday or Feedback Friday, but I listen to the interviews, I usually go, how long have you been listening to the show? And almost universally, it's less than one or two months. And then they'll circle back in six months or I'll circle back with them using my fancy dancy CRM. And I'll say, <laughs> hey, still catching the show? Yes. And I'll go, what do you think of Fan Mail Friday or Feedback Friday? And they go, I love it. It's my favorite. And I go, okay, cool. So it has to do with the relationship that they have with me as a host. If you're new, you think, screw this guy, I don't care. But if you're an old hand or you start to go, I you start to value what I bring to the table, not just the guest, people say, I'm so glad we get more of you on Friday, which surprised me. I genuinely thought, well, these aren't that popular. I guess I know what people want from me, but it turned out to not be true. So that's why I always recommend testing things for a longer period of time, because you just don't have enough data sometimes in the beginning of something like this. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, and you gotta give people a chance to find it too. So we're gonna circle back a little bit. You mentioned that when you started the new show, you brought your sponsors with you and you know, it was pretty easy to get guests because you had some celebrity and you, you had an audience. So any tips you would have for new podcasters or writers that wanna interview somebody better known or kind of get their podcast or their blog or something off the ground? Yeah, so I have been racking my brain for years and years because everybody's been asking me this. You know, my show, my other show at its Zenith had over 4 million downloads a month. My current show that's 11 weeks old, not even, has um, over 3 million downloads so far. So, like, these kinds of things, it, ter it turns out, like, Jordan's good at promoting shows, right? And and I just used my, th spoke about myself in the third person, so please punch me in the face next time we see each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the idea is that you really can, you can self-promote like crazy, you can advertise like crazy, which doesn't convert generally, by the way. You can spam your email list like crazy if you have one. You can link up on all kinds of websites and all this stuff. The, the point is though, man, it just does not matter if you don't have a really good product. And by that I mean show. Because you can fill that bucket up with water but the problem is if you've got holes in the bottom and people are unsubscribing because when they finally do come to you and subscribe, they're like, meh, you're in trouble, dude. You're in trouble. You have to, it sounds so cliche, but I think a lot of people don't really get this in the internet day and age. Your product has to be really sticky in order to get cut through the cruft, get people to subscribe. That's good marketing. That's good advertising. Being everywhere, that's good advertising. That's good promotion. But it doesn't matter. If you get 100,000 people to come to your show and 10,000 of them stick, I'm not saying whether or not that's good or bad, but you're gonna want to make sure that you get that to 20,000 people, 30,000 people that stick, not just go, great, I wanna reach a million people now and have 100,000 stick. You know, that's, that's all fine and good, but if you could, your leverage is getting more people, a higher percentage of them to stick because you can talk to hundreds of thousands or millions of people by going on all the top shows. And then a certain single digit, likely, most likely percentage of those people are going to search and find your show and go, this guy was interesting enough for me to take a look at. And then a certain percentage of them are gonna go, I listened to one of these and it was worth my time and I'm subscribing. So you're always gonna lose a ton of people at each one of those phases, right? The marketing and awareness, the subscription and retention. So get your retention up. There's no reason you should lose a subscriber because you're mailing it in. So I self-promote like crazy, right? I go on lots of shows, I bring my A game to every show, I don't mail it in, I don't go on autopilot, I don't say the same thing on every show, I don't script my answers, et cetera. So I do the best job I can with that. But then when people come to my show, I don't just have this same sort of scripted interviews like a lot of other shows. I, like I said before, I spend 
eight to 10 hours, six to 10 hours preparing each episode. And my team does an incredible job on production because each one is important because each one is the first time someone's heard the show. And if they listen to it and they go, no, thanks, they might never give me another chance. Yeah. You have to remember that you can't release something and go, Hey, you know, this isn't my best work, but I'm in a hurry because for hundreds or even thousands of people, that could be the first impression they have. And you don't want them going, yeah, Tyler kind of mails it in. It's just another show. Yeah. It might be the only impression they ever have of you. Yeah. And then what, you know, and I, I was talking with a friend of mine to, to relate this to sort of personal stuff. I was talking with a friend of mine who I met at a conference and he had me on his show and he goes, man, our show's really killing it. It's the most popular show I've done in a long time. Thanks for coming on and being interviewed. And I said, sure, no no problem, man. And he goes, you know, I'm, I'm just surprised at how nice you are. And I went, what are you talking about? And he goes, well, when we met, you were nice. And I met you again and you were nice. But every time I told other people back when we met three, four years ago that you were nice, they were like, that guy? No, he's kind of a dick. And I just never experienced that from you. And I thought the other shoe would drop at some point. And I'm like, oh, man. He, and he was laughing about it, but I, I was like, oh, crap, that's not a good rep, right? That means that three, four, five years ago, I had talked with a group of people or left an impression on a group of people that was that I'm like overly brash. They didn't say dick, but they said, oh, he's he speaks his mind. And he doesn't spare. He doesn't pull any punches. That's kind of code for probably puts his foot in his mouth a lot or isn't exactly a charmer. And that's not good. You know, I used to think that and I know a lot of entrepreneurs do this too. They're like, I got to be direct. No, you don't. You should be polite. Everything you do should be done with compassion. And people are like, I don't want to pull any punches. I, I don't want to spare someone's feelings. You can give feedback and even direct feedback without being a dick about it. But I, I kind of went through this phase where I was like, I'm just going to say what's ever on my mind because that's how I roll, bruh. I don't give a fuck. And um, that didn't do well for me as somebody who wanted to be known as an approachable personality in this business. Yeah. So that's why I read all my email. I reply to all my email. You know, I don't necessarily do in-depth replies to every email. It would be impossible. But I, I will answer all my tweets, all my Facebook messages, all my LinkedIn messages. It's important to me to be accessible, not to be liked. There's a difference here. It's important to be accessible because the the minute you think – I'm so good at this, I'm awesome, I basically can relax because I have so many fans. That's when you get effing blindsided and you go, how the hell did I get knocked off the mountain? There are stories of people that have done this and that have rested on their laurels or thought that they were too awesome to do any of the real work, which is engaging with their fans if you're in this industry. And um, some of them we don't talk about anymore because I can't remember the freaking name. That shows you how well long they lasted. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's one of the toughest parts is... You like you said, you know, stuff you did three, five years ago was coming back to, or, or could have, it didn't in that instance, come back to bite you in the ass. And it's tough to realize that the stuff you did forever ago still matters because you don't know who's talking about it. I mean, I deal with that every now and then for stuff I did early on with Bike Rumor. We made a few mistakes and every once in a while, somebody who really didn't like what we did brings it back up in social media. And then we got to like either ignore it or deal with it. And it's, Man, you just never know where and when those things will matter. So the the tough part is, A, realizing that, and then B, like always being on. Because some days you just, like, you don't want to be nice, right? <laughs> and those are the days yeah. you should not be interviewing somebody or talking. Exactly. You know how long it took me to learn that lesson, dude? I'll tell you. <laughs> me too. There were, there, isn't that funny? It's like there's some day, and like everyone's entitled to a bad day. And I, I have a rule now. If I'm in my inbox and I start getting annoyed because I'm getting a lot of dumb questions or I get some hate mail or something and it's getting to me or I'm just under-caffeinated or over-caffeinated or whatever, I will stop doing email. And if I'm doing Twitter and I see a dumb question and I feel like I'm going to react, I don't just not react. I get off Twitter entirely and I'll go read or something because that's how you end up with – and I've done – we've all done this, but I've done this especially where you end up like – you see a dumb question, you answer it. You see another dumb question, you answer it. You see a dumb, another dumb question, you answer it. And then somebody goes like, hey, when's the new show coming out? And you're like, it's already out, dumbass. You know? <laughs> and then you go, ugh. And you got to go and DM that person and be like, hey, man, didn't mean to say that. Having a rough day. And it's bad. I could have just closed the window. But no, I had to react. And I know that 
there's all this mindfulness stuff, like control your emotions. Oh, you know what's easier? Just realizing when you're in it, that mood and then just clicking the little X. Yeah, yeah, go meditate if you want to, but you don't really have to worry about this. Luckily, that's a good thing about the short attention spans that we have nowadays. You can literally just click away from something if it's annoying you, even if it's your own inbox. I'm not saying don't face your problems, but what I am saying is if you're engaging with your fans, you you, you can't yell at your kids because your boss yelled at you. And right. you're, in this case, your bo- your fans are your boss. So don't yell at your boss either. And certainly don't bring that stuff into your business. And it's tricky. You know, it's tricky because as a guy who, who works really hard on my show, if someone's like, your show sucks, you're a jerk face, you know, it's easy for me to be like, eh, there's just one of those. But if you see two or three of those and back to back, you're just like, you know what, screw all of you pricks. Why do I wake up in the morning and do this show for you? That's not a good attitude to have. Yeah. Right? I mean, the constructive look at that is like, well, all right, maybe if three or four people are saying I'm a jerk face, then maybe I'm doing something wrong. Maybe but- you're a fucking jerk. Yeah. But chances are you're just getting some complainers or you're getting someone who's like, oh, uh, your app is broken. And you look and it's not broken. And you're like, hey, restart your phone. And they're like, no, it's for sure your app. And you're like, oh, okay. All right. Fine. Yep. You know, or but if you get a bunch a of those. Day. You know, because they have bad days too. And we deal with that all the time with the comments on Bike Rumor. It's like somebody will will say something and half the time, like this is the trick is training yourself to, you know, when you do respond, be like, hey man, you know, I'm I'm sorry. You know, here's why we deleted your comments because, you know, here's the link to our comments policy. This is why. Or or we'll just like, you know, they could be like railing us for, I mean, like if we put the comma in the wrong place for it sometimes or include a comma when it shouldn't, yeah, like we're typing half their posts on our phones and it's quick, autocorrect screws us over. We'll just be like, hey, thanks, good catch, you know, like I totally missed that when I hit publish. And then it diffuses it because they were like either trying to make us look like idiots and then when we respond with kindness, they're like, uh, I, I, I don't know what just happened. It's it's really nice to respond with kindness because it also feels like you're kind of sticking it to them in a lot a lot of ways, right? If someone if someone's a really big jerk, I often will write the nicest response that I can, right. and people are like, "Why do you do that? You know, you don't have to do that. Um, you know, you're taking the high road. I get it." And I'm like, "No, it actually, it actually feels quite good somehow to re- just be so nice to somebody that you know they feel like such a jackass." when they read it i don't know it's petty maybe but but i'm using nice for the power of evil but you're you know tough tough right. rocks it does it's it's kind of like you feel good because you were nice but you're also like yeah take that <laughs> what are you gonna say now take that i'm gonna be better than you and then prove it and then lean back and be like and i look good and you don't <laughs> <laughs> you know like yeah it, it's a it's a bit ridiculous but it sure beats reacting with somebody and then they're like ah look i got one i got you what a loser you know you're supposed to be all calm and self-helpy and personal growthy and look you're reacting to this random guy in your email and then you kind of realize like oh wait um i am totally taking the bait from this person who just wants attention it's kind of pathetic yeah all right, man, I've got, uh, I don't want to keep you too long. I've got kind of three questions I like to end with. Um, so the first is, and this is the point of this one was to sort of take everything that we talked about. And then for somebody who's listening that, you know, maybe they just, they want to strike out on their own. They really don't know what yet. Maybe this will give them an idea. So what are one or two management or operational issues that keep you up at night? Oh man, <laughs> only one or two. <laughs> Ah, okay. Management or operational issues. I want to make sure, I know this sounds a little bit ridiculous probably, but I do worry about, I want to make sure my team is in good emotional spirits. Uh, A lot of people don't think about this. You might argue that it's your team's job to make sure of that. But what I've found is that people will tell you last. And it's usually like, so I'm quitting in two weeks because for the last eight months, this has happened. So I'm, I'm quite paranoid about that. And for that reason, I spend a lot of time talking with my team about things that are not necessarily business related. I make sure they're taking their freaking vitamins. Yes, seriously. (laughs) Um, I talk about their personal problems with these people all the time. Uh, In a way, I make sure that they feel taken care of. I make sure they can vent to me about anything. I make sure they feel comfortable giving me feedback uh, and everything. And so as a result of that, I've had no turnover at all, actually, on my side of the business. In four years, the last person that went away on my side of the business, I had to fire because 
she was dating somebody who had on another part of the business that had gotten fired and she was my assistant. And I, I had to say, Hey, look, you have to resign because we had to fire your boyfriend. And that really sucked. And she was upset and I was upset, but it wasn't like a, you know, bad terms. She didn't even do anything. You know, it was just a, a business decision that had to be made. Our lawyer made me do it essentially. So I'm quite proud of that. I've really just never had to fire anyone. Nice. And, um, and I've never lost anyone. No one's ever quit. So I think that's important to note. And I, I think part of that reason is because I do take care of my team because I do care about them. So I stay up at night thinking about that. The other thing I stay up at night thinking about, man, is just the, the usual, like, how are we going to grow? How are we going to scale? Is this live event going to sell? Are these products going to sell? And I go through and do a lot of what ifs because I'm a former attorney. So I spend a lot of time doing that. But Usually, I'm just worrying. I, I know you're not supposed to do that. I know you're not supposed to say that. But a lot of the time, I am just worrying for the sake of it. And that's why I don't work up until bedtime anymore. Because it's uh, it you'll, you'll drive yourself crazy. If you're working all the way up until bed, there's a good chance that you're going to start to feel like you never get away from work because it's you're going to take it with you to sleep. At least I, that's what I was doing. And that, that was a game changer for me. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I had to start, you know, take off, play some halo with my son or mm -hmm. read a book or, or both. Um, so your, your answer to that one, it, it makes this one a little tough because I don't know how you're going to answer this, but typically then I try and ask like, okay, is there a product or service you wish someone would make that would help solve those problems? But it sounds like for you. It's no, they the have them. It's called people. it's called drugs. <laughs> we have it. Drugs and alcohol, people. No, um, I don't recommend that stuff. I recommend it's habit habits that solve these problems. It's wearing blue blockers and not looking at screens. It's having a chat with friends and family before bed. It's playing Halo with your kid and then chatting with your wife. There's it's not there's not like. Oh, I need I need something that's going to put me to sleep. That's you, you're doing it wrong if you need that, or you've got a condition, right? All right, so let's bring this full circle back to what we started our conversation with. Since your background's in human interaction, social development, and all that, let's focus there. Are there one or two mistakes you see people make as they're starting or running their companies that are hurting their ability to lead or perform in that capacity? So a lot of people they don't create relationships they focus i know this sounds ridiculous they focus too much on the inside of their company and they don't dig the well before they're thirsty in terms of creating relationships and connections outside the company and outside the industry does that make sense um so you have to network you have to create relationships you have to systemize it you can't put it off till later because it's like putting a tire in the trunk of your car after you get a flat on the highway this stuff is foundational People go, I got to have my prototype. I got to have my website. I got to finish hiring. I got to get funded. I got to, no, this stuff is foundational. It's not an add-on. It's not a bonus set. If you ignore networking and relationships, you're not immune to the consequences. You're just being willfully ignorant of the secret game being played around you. You have to start now. You have to continue doing it forever. There's no winning the networking relationship game. You, you have to start early. You can't make up for lost time. So do you mean like uh, like trade association networks, you know, competitive, you know, networking with your competitors and with uh, you know, potential suppliers? Who are you referring to? Who should people be networking with? You should know in, inside and outside of your industry, everyone. And it, the way that you do this, it's scalable because you're introducing people to each other in in the network, right? You're not just trying to get to know people in your industry. You're not just trying to get to know people in your company, you should be creating a broad and deep network. So people in other industries, people in other lines of work, as well as deep inside your own industry, inside your own company. Those, you should know those things. You should know those people. You should be creating those relationships. You should be doing that at all times. And it doesn't have to take 10 hours a week. It, you can do things in a few minutes a day. I can give you a couple exercises. You know, we've all met people from a wide variety of backgrounds. Uh, and we don't necessarily have business with them. The idea here, I call this ABG instead of ABC. So yeah. always be closing, right? You've heard that before, ABC. So ABG instead, always be generous or always be giving. This is logistically easier because instead of trying to match a need somebody that you meet has with a service that you provide, 
you're just trying to figure out who else in your network would be a good connection for the person you're talking to. Then you can create a connection between those two people. So you're really just taking a few minutes to introduce those people to each other. You're not trying to figure out how to have coffee with every single person that you're talking to. You're trying to connect them to each other. Does that make sense? So it's scalable. It takes a few minutes. It doesn't take hours. You don't have to take time out of your day to do it. You can do this in a few minutes in the morning. You can add people to a CRM and make sure you're following up. You can use systems, opportunistic and systematic networking maintenance to make sure that you're keeping in touch with these people. This is a huge mistake that I see people make is putting this off. And I talk about this at length. I mean, it's like an hour long, maybe even longer thing. I'm running workshops on this. Uh, actually, if you go to advancedhumandynamics.com, if you click on level one, I have 13 pretty badass networking drills and awesome. exercises that take just minutes. And you can go and get those and people can create hundreds of life-changing relationships over time. Life and career slash business changing. These will make you money. Because there's nothing, when you find yourself starting something, you really only have your natural talent, your work ethic, but that's great. If you're gonna do everything yourself, you know, your skills and your talent, that works fine. If you have, if you don't have that, or if you're just gonna rely on that, fine. But otherwise you have your network, that's it. They can't, it can't be taken from you by the bank. You take a hit in your business, doesn't matter. You got your network, you got your relationships. Networking is a skill that's highly prized and relatively rare. If you look at the top of companies, law partners, they have great networks. C-level executives, great networks. It's not a result of being in the C-suite, it's how they got there. And that is a great place to finish. Jordan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks, dude, I appreciate the opportunity. Talk to you later. What I like about this episode is that it's all about taking ownership of your situation to control your outcome. Whether you're trying to quit your day job to launch your first company or just pushing through an uncomfortable position at work, his analogy about ripping off a band-aid is apt. I've heard this from so many entrepreneurs who've had the decision to strike out on their own made for them. Whether through a layoff, accident, or something else, having the decision made for you is sometimes the best thing that can happen. The problem is that means you're often suffering through something you really don't enjoy for far too long. Even when our gut is telling us this just isn't right, it's easier to do nothing than do something uncomfortable. I hope this episode gets you thinking on how to take ownership of such situations. Playing the blame game or waiting it out are two good ways to make sure nothing changes for the better. Step back, look at your actions, your goals, and the things you can change, then make it happen. Jordan has clear goals, namely to be one of the top interviewers in the world. Having this set out makes hard decisions easier. If something moves you closer to the goal, do it. If not, skip it. Can you set clear goals for yourself, then look at your situation and see if it's moving you closer to them? That can be a powerful way to put things into perspective and help you realize what needs to be done. Be sure to check out the show notes at thebuildcycle.com slash podcast, where I have timestamps, an overview to provide quick reference of the key points from our conversation, links to Jordan's websites and social media, and more, plus my own free guide on how to launch a podcast that walks you through the processes step by step. Thanks for listening. Here's hoping you're creating your ideal future every day and owning it. Until next time, keep building. Keep building.